Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Last winter, my wife and I were out on a date and we were strolling down Carroll Creek when we noticed a group of high schoolers arguing about something very animatedly. And it all seemed to be focused on one guy that was clearly the instigator trying to convince the others of something. As we got closer, we heard that the guy who's the center of it all say very confidently, I promise you it's frozen enough for us to walk on. You can see where this is going. But his friends didn't believe him. And instead of rolling their eyes and walking away, they started to do what good friends do, and they challenged him. Do it. Take a step. You won't. And so Ray and I watched. This guy took off his coat and proceeded to take one step onto the ice and fall straight down into the water. Because it's one thing to say that you can walk on the ice, but it's another thing to prove it. And this is true for anything, right? If someone tells you they know what brewery is the best brewery in Frederick, you don't just take their word for it. You go and try it out for yourself. Someone says that the show that they're watching is the best show ever, so you watch it. Someone tells you that they know how to gritty. You make them show you that they can do it, okay? I mean, I can gritty. I'm not going to show you. I don't have the time for that today. No, later. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Because the thing is, here's the thing. You want proof, right? Right? I cannot gritty. Okay. Come on. You think I can, people. I can, listen, I can promise you, I've never even tried to practice. Even knowing I was writing this, I was like, I'm not even going to put effort into this. Right? But that's the thing. We we don't want to just take people's word for it. Right? Even people that we we trust, we want to see it for ourselves. You know, one of the things I love about Easter is that we get to celebrate when Jesus resurrected from the dead and how it proved all of the promises he made could be trusted. Promises of forgiveness, promises of grace and endless second chances, promises of life to the fullest. But I'm not gonna lie, I struggle with churches at Easter because they'll put up the banners that say he is risen. They'll celebrate all the holy days. They'll sing about resurrection. But instead of talking about why we can believe the resurrection actually happened, They drop thousands of eggs from a helicopter, make the youth pastor dress up like the Easter bunny and dance around, right? We have this tendency to want to celebrate Jesus's resurrection, which we should celebrate, but what about the proof? How can we know that this is true and that it can really change our lives? And so here's what we're gonna do today. This is the last Sunday in our series that's called Inspired By. And what we've been doing is we've been reading through the story of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection that are found in the Bible. And we've been pairing that up with some famous works of art that are inspired by what we're reading so we can dig deeper into the story. Historically, once Christianity became legal around 313 AD, its influence on art took off. Paintings, mosaics, sculptures of Jesus began to show up everywhere. The earliest painting of Jesus that's ever been found is an image of him carrying a sheep over his shoulders that dates back to the third century. Christianity had a major influence on multiple art movements, including medieval art in the 12th century and the Renaissance, which lasted from the 14th to the 16th century. 
Art historians absolutely credit Christianity for moving the art world forward. Now, I know that some of you hear the phrase Christian art, and you're a bit skeptical, though, and I get that. I'm not sure how Christian art went from things like this. This is the Last Supper, probably the most famous painting in the world. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Or this, this is the Sistine Chapel. And this picture doesn't even do it justice because the camera can't get the entire chapel and all the paintings that Michelangelo did there. Or this, this is the Pieta, probably the most famous sculpture about Jesus in the history of the world. But then there's stuff like this. Hey y'all, this right here is the Bible slide. Featuring the This is not art, band. okay? And this time we're about to get holy, holy. All right, everybody holy, stand holy, up. Holy. <laughs> I'm kidding, we're not gonna do that. Holy, holy, holy. You can cut it, it's fine. For some of you, this is your nightmare. Your friend was like, come to church with me, and you expected it to be that, okay? That's not our, not our vibe. Right? So the reality is Christian art isn't what it used to be, right? And we get that, and, and we see that. But there are thousands of famous works of art that are absolutely mesmerizing. It can help us be pulled deeper into the stories we read in the Bible. And the painting we're going to look at today will do just that. But before we get to the painting, we're going to read about the story. We're going to read about Jesus' resurrection, which makes sense because it's Easter. But then we're actually going to read another part of the story that we don't really talk about because it's about doubt. It's about one of Jesus' followers named Thomas and his need for proof. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because I struggle with doubt as well. I am a naturally skeptical person and I need proof, partly because I have trust issues. Right? I need proof that I can trust what I'm being told but also because if I'm gonna go all in on something, I want to be absolutely confident in it. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having doubts. We say all the time that collective is a place where you can belong before you believe. But I know that some of you are sitting in here and you've been told before that you can't have doubts and follow Jesus, that you can't wrestle with doubt and be a good Christian, that you can't struggle with doubt and be loved by God. And that's just not true. The mistake we make when it comes to doubt, though, is that we often choose not to explore it, to not try to pursue or to learn and push to the other side of those doubts. And that's what I'm hoping will happen for many of you today, that you move from a place of doubt to belief, that you move from a place of doubt to trust, that you move from a place of doubt to hope because of the resurrection and the proof we have today. And so to catch everyone up on what we've talked about the last few weeks, Jesus was arrested and then he was put on trial. Then he was beaten and humiliated. He was forced to carry a 300 pound cross to a place called the skull where he was crucified. Then after Jesus died on the cross that day, he was placed in a tomb and that was sealed shut by a stone that weighed between 2,000 and 4,000 pounds. And they waited for three days until this happened. In John 20, starting in verse one, it says this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, Mary went to the tomb to take care of Jesus's body. In Jewish culture, they would anoint the dead with oil and perfume to cover up the smell. But when she got there, Jesus's body was gone. The story continues. She ran and found Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, this is just something funny I wanna point out. John, who wrote this book of the Bible that we're reading right now, calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. 
right? So he's writing about himself when he says, the other disciple outran Peter, right? John flexed on Peter and it lasted forever. Like we still read it today. <laughs> this story continues. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Now this is really important. Peter is clearly not a fast runner, okay? John absolutely smoked him to the tomb that day. Okay, that's not really what I wanna point out. Here's what I wanna point out. Mary, Peter, and John, arguably the three people who were closest to Jesus saw the stone rolled away from the tomb. And their first thought was not that Jesus resurrected from the dead like he said he would. Their first thought was that the body was stolen. And John actually writes about himself that he needed proof that the tomb was empty. He wasn't just gonna take Mary's word for it. He wasn't just gonna take Peter's word for it. But he says, I needed to look for myself. And he wrote, he saw, which he could have said, I saw and believed. Skipping ahead of you, verses, verse 19 says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And so it isn't just about an empty tomb. Right? Oftentimes at Easter, we see those things posted on Facebook. The tomb is empty, and that's great, okay? But what really matters is that the disciples saw him. They saw the wounds that Jesus had. Jesus proved to them that he was Jesus, that he was crucified, and that he did resurrect from the dead. And so for those disciples who were there, because they saw him and they felt those wounds, they are no longer in doubt. They no longer think that the body was stolen or maybe they accidentally went to the wrong tomb. They have their proof. But one of the guys isn't there. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, poor Thomas, okay? Imagine missing out on this moment, right? He steps out to go to the bathroom and comes back and everyone's like, we just saw Jesus. And he's like, what the heck just happened? But one of the reasons why I love Thomas is because he doesn't believe his friends, right? He doesn't just take their word for it and say, oh, you saw them, therefore I also believe. This is what he says in verse 25. He says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. He says, I need to see it for myself. And Thomas has doubts. He says, I need proof. And this wasn't because Thomas was new to this whole Jesus thing. Thomas had been following Jesus for the last three years. He had seen the miracles. He'd seen the walking on water. He'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He'd seen Jesus heal people. Thomas had even once proclaimed that he was willing to die with Jesus. But in this moment, he was unsure. He said, I will not believe unless there is proof. Let me see him. Let me touch the wounds. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. I imagine he never left their side for the next eight days. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. 
A few weeks ago, a friend sent me this video. God ain't real, okay? If there was a God, there would be a lightning strike in three, two, one, now. Uh, okay, this is very concerning. <laughs> <laughs> right, I feel like this is Thomas. He's like, I, I need this proof. I won't believe until I see it for myself. Right, and we read in this moment that Thomas goes from doubt to belief. He says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this in verse 29, which I think is still so relevant to us today. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now let's look at the painting inspired by this story. This is called Doubting Thomas by Caravaggio. And you know this painting is legit because the artist goes by one name, right? Think about it. There's Michelangelo, Beyonce, Caravaggio. Like he's, he's the real deal. And Caravaggio was famous for his realism and his emotional directness. They, they would say that no one else painted paintings with this much emotion in it, right? And you know that. You look at it, and immediately you feel all types of things, right? You feel drawn into it, right? Some of you feel a little bit grossed out by it, but this is a very intense painting. Caravaggio also made some of the most stunning works of art in the Western world, still some of the most stunning works of art. And although there are many Renaissance and Baroque paintings, which is the era this came from, that depict this moment, right? There are other doubting Thomas paintings out there. Caravaggio's gory emphasis on Thomas's ruddy fingers sticking into Christ's wound and displacing the surrounding skin is a first. No one ever painted this story with this much detail before. Caravaggio also used a technique that's called chiaroscuro, which is Italian for light dark. This is when the artist brings in light from an unknown source to illuminate the most important aspects of the art. In this painting, the light streams into the image from the left, pulling our eyes to Jesus and the moment that Thomas touches his wounds. The focus is on Thomas's right hand, firmly guided by Jesus as he carefully prods the wound with his index finger. We talked about this last week. This wound would have been caused by a Roman soldier. Jesus was crucified on a cross. He died on the cross but the Romans also took a spear and shoved it into his side to make sure that he was really dead. And one of the cool things about this painting is you don't see the hands of the other two disciples, right? They're, they're concealed. Although their curiosity, you see it on their face, is undisguised as they intently look on as Thomas is given the proof that he needs, right? We read, they've already seen the proof. They've touched those wounds, but they're still so interested in what's going on. And this is really important. They do not question Jesus's identity, they know that it's Jesus, but they are fascinated by his wound as the physical evidence of his existence and that he has risen from the dead, right? Jesus wasn't an angel visiting him. He is fully man who has fully defeated death. I also wanna point out that Jesus is shown with a tenderness and a patience in light of the doubts that Thomas had. He doesn't reprimand Thomas. He doesn't push him out of the room. He says, you want proof, here it is. And what holds so many people back when it comes to faith in Jesus is doubt, right? It's not that they don't want it to be true or that they don't hope that it's real. It's not that they don't want heaven or the things of God or forgiveness, right? They just want proof. We just want proof. Thomas wanted proof because if Jesus resurrected from the dead, it changes everything. If the resurrection really happened, that means that the dead parts of our lives can be brought back to life as well. The dead parts of our soul, the dead parts of our mental health, the dead parts of our marriages, of our self-confidence. Right? Resurrection means that these things don't have to stay dead because they can experience new life. 
And so let's talk about some of the proof. Christian and non-Christian historians have tracked a major cultural shift in Israel and the surrounding countries back to the moment that Jesus conquered death. Tens of thousands of Jewish people changed their customs and traditions that were thousands of years old and focused them on Jesus. And the reasons that historians care about this is because long before Jesus, there were other religions, there were other kings and leaders and prophets, but none of them led to a cultural shift, right? None of them led to an actual change in countries and thousands of people, but the resurrection did. Two of those shifts were the emphasis on things like baptism and communion, These are both things that the church does to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. For thousands of years, there was prophecy about a coming savior, a person who would be called God's son that would live a perfect life and die on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The prophecy said that he would be buried in a tomb, that he would resurrect from the dead three days later. But until Jesus came, there were no customs celebrating death, burial, and resurrection. And upon Jesus fulfilling those promises... The church started celebrating this weekly. The church is also a part of that cultural change. The church didn't exist before the resurrection, right? How else do you explain a group of 12 regular people changing the world? And if the resurrection didn't happen, this wouldn't exist today, right? This movement known as Christianity would have died out a very long time ago, but people saw Jesus resurrect from the dead and were willing to do everything they could to tell people about it. Uh, One of the things I love is that archaeologically, there's never been any evidence found that disproves anything in the Bible, right? And you see everyone who reads articles and it's like, this proves that this didn't happen. And they dig a little bit deep and they're like, oh crap, we're wrong, right? You can look that up. While most of Israel is not yet excavated, the more they dig, the more they prove that the Bible is accurate and credible. And there's a ton of other things historically and socially and archaeologically that can help us believe, right? To help us feel confident in who Jesus is and what he said he did. But there are two bigger things. And these are the things I want to focus on today. These are the reasons that I believe. And these are the truths that I hold on to when doubt creeps into my faith. And so here's the first reason I think that we can believe in the resurrection. He was seen, so our hope is real. He was seen. It isn't just about an empty tomb. An empty tomb is just an empty tomb. It's about the fact that the disciples saw him. John, who wrote what we just read, saw him. And I understand, I hear this argument all the time. Well, he could have made it all up, right? And he could have. But the thing is, what does he have to gain from that? Right? There was no wealth and fame that came from writing about Jesus. In fact, it was the opposite. It was persecution and pain. Because of his faith in Jesus, John would eventually be thrown into a vat of boiling oil and left to die somehow managed to survive, and so they exiled to an, to an island called Patmos where he would die, all because he refused to deny what he saw and what he wrote about. It wasn't just John, though. It was all the disciples. Peter was cruci- crucified upside down for his faith. Andrew died by being severely beaten and then tied to a cross. James was beheaded with a sword. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten, flayed open, and then crucified. Matthew was axed to death. Jude was crucified. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Matthias, who replaced Judas, was stoned and then beheaded. Our boy Thomas, he was speared and then thrown into an oven to die. These are the guys who followed Jesus the closest, who saw it all with their own eyes, who touched those wounds with their own hands and then shared that good news that Jesus came to live and die so that our sins could be forgiven. Every single one of them were killed in terrible ways because of what they knew and saw 
and believed. But there's even more. Paul, who is probably the most famous Christian of all time, he started by opposing Christianity and killing Christians. One day he's on this road to Damascus, he's blinded by Jesus, and he turns his life around completely. Paul goes on to write the majority of the New Testament. He plants churches all over the known world, and then he's beheaded for his faith. James, who is Jesus' half-brother, same mom, different dads. Come on, guys, pick up. Jesus, God, okay, moving on. Ah, there it is. Thank you. Man, (laughs) your second service, you're supposed to be quicker than first. Right, right. James publicly denied, and we see this in scripture, James publicly denied that Jesus was the son of God. Like they have a conflict and a confrontation where he does not believe that his own brother is the son of God. And if you have siblings, you understand this because you don't believe anything they tell you, right? If my brother told me that he was the son of God, I would very much not believe him. I have trouble believing my brother when he says he's showing up to the family barbecue and he's the one who does all the grilling. It's because he's my brother. But after Jesus resurrected from the dead, James saw him. James put his face in him. And then James was thrown off the temple and clubbed to death because he refused to deny that his own brother was the Messiah. And so this begs the question, what belief would you be willing to lose your life over? Would you be willing to die for something that you weren't completely sure of? Would you put your life on the line for that TV show that's the best TV show ever? It can only be said that they were willing to die for their belief because they couldn't deny what they had seen and experienced in their own lives. He was seen, so our hope is real. But here's the second reason we can believe in the resurrection. You just look all around you. We can believe in the resurrection because of people sitting in this room. Not not because they believe in the resurrection, but because of what Jesus has done in their lives. You just look all around you and you can see the impact of the resurrection in our own lives. For me, this is my proof. I've I've been to Israel, I've I've touched the place, I've seen it. I I read the history and and I believe, but when I look at this room, it changes everything. This is my belief. This is my proof of resurrection, of what Jesus is doing in the lives of these people. If you stick around collective long enough, you will get all the proof you need that Jesus is who he says he is and that he conquered death. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is resurrecting dead things in the lives of so many people in this church. Because what people in this church have been through and healed from and found restoration in, nothing other than Jesus can do that, nothing. There are people in this church who have suffered the worst losses imaginable, the loss of a child, but the hopelessness they have felt has turned into hope because they know because of Jesus, there is heaven. And in heaven, there is no more pain and no more sorrow and all things are made new. And through Jesus and Jesus alone, there is the opportunity to spend eternity with their child again. There are people in this church who have attempted suicide because they didn't want to live anymore and felt like no one else wanted them to live anymore either. But through faith in Jesus, they have realized that they are loved unconditionally that God sees them as valuable and worthy and the dead parts of their self-worth have been brought back to life. There are people in this church that have made terrible decisions. They have hurt people, they've hurt themselves, and they've done things that they can never take back. And they have lived in shame for years, but because of Jesus, they've found new life and no longer feel defined by their mistakes, but defined by the grace of God. Only Jesus can do that. Social media can't do that. Trends and fads can't do that. Politicians can't do that. People can't do that. Crystals cannot do that. 
Only Jesus can bring people who are drinking themselves to the point of death back to life and into a place of healing. Only Jesus can bring marriages out of death and back to life after years of affairs. Only Jesus can bring faith out of death and back to life out of trauma and abuse and pain. And because we have seen this in the lives of so many people in this church, we can believe. Just a few moments, we're gonna celebrate four baptisms, uh, two of which are Jasmine and Corey. And baptism is the physical action that represents our faith and belief in Jesus, and it symbolizes our own death, burial, and resurrection. It's not about being perfect or having perfect faith. It's saying, Jesus, I want resurrection in my life. Jesus, I want something new. Jasmine didn't grow up in the church, but she shared with us that she's always been curious about faith. And as she got older, she went through a lot. She had two kids on her own and uh, some things that led to her making the decision to get sober. And she shared with us, I have a past, but who I am now is different because of Jesus. I've been holding on to guilt and searching for forgiveness for a long time, and baptism is my answer of letting go of all of those things. Her husband, Corey, grew up in the church, but when he got to college, he started to walk away from his faith. And he didn't completely write it off, but it began the season of doubt season of questions, a season of wrestling for him. Having a background rooted in science, Corey struggled to make sense of both of those things, science and faith. But here's what he shared with us, this is so good. He said, there's just as much science that's unexplainable like in faith. And for me, the more I learned in medicine, the more I saw gaps and realized there has to be something higher than ourselves. And since getting married and seeing Jasmine's pursuit of faith, it has brought Corey back here to the point of his own faith. And he said, for me, baptism is the representation of the old life into new life, living a life led by Jesus rather than being led by myself. And so today, Jasmine and Corey are ready to put their faith in Jesus. And they're not saying that their life is perfect. Right? They're not saying that they have it all together. They're just saying that they cannot do this without Jesus. And they cannot do this without resurrection. They cannot do this without his grace and his forgiveness. The reason we believe is because we can see the impact of the resurrection every single day. And I just wanna say this, if you are not someone who follows Jesus, right, you are here today because a friend brought you, they promised you brunch and you showed up. Maybe you got tricked. You saw a bunch of signs and walked in and were like, oh no, this is church. I don't know why you're here. <laughs> but here's the thing, if you are in that place where you are wrestling with this, but you hear this and you're sitting going, I, I need resurrection. My life feels empty, it feels alone, I feel dead, I need something new. If you are ready to move from a place of doubt to faith, here's what we encourage you to do. We want you to follow their lead and we want you to check the baptism box. Someone's gonna call you this week and talk to you about what does it mean to lean in? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to trust Jesus? But if you are still in a place of being unsure, Right, if 20 minutes from me doesn't change your mind, which makes sense. If you're still in a place of doubt, that's okay. But here's my challenge for you though. You gotta come back next week. In fact, I challenge you to come back the next six weeks because we're starting a series called The Things We Carry. And if you stick around with us through that series, if you lean in, right, don't just sit there. If you lean in, you will begin to experience the hope and peace and grace that Jesus offers. I wanna finish with this. The reason Jesus left heaven and came to earth is for you. He did that to find you, to look for you, to save you from the very thing that you have decided that would make him not want you or love you. 
And you can keep on waiting for something to happen in this world that will make everything all right. You can keep hoping for a miracle that will make all of your problems and memories and wounds and anger just go away. And you can keep expecting someone else to show up and do something that will rescue you from where you find yourself today. But the thing you are waiting for, the thing you are praying for, the thing you are hoping for is Jesus. And that is why we celebrate Easter. That is why we can have hope even when things feel hopeless because Jesus promised that we could have new life, that we could experience resurrection. He promised us forgiveness. He promised us grace, that there's nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. He promised us love. He promised us that he wouldn't abandon us even when we're at our lowest. He promised us freedom. He promised us that it's not too late for broken, outcast, sinful people like us to experience eternity with God. And Jesus made these promises and then he backed him up by conquering death. And he was seen so we can have hope. He was seen so we could believe. He was seen and that message was carried forward so that we can experience resurrection in our own lives right now. And I'll just tell you, Jesus has changed the lives of so many people in this church in ways that honestly feel unbelievable, in ways that don't make sense outside of, outside of Jesus. In fact, in ways that would make many of you say that could never happen to me. But the thing is, it can. Jesus wants to bring resurrection into your life. And he was willing to give up his own life and resurrect from the dead to prove that to you. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful um, that you sent your son to live a perfect life, uh, to die on a cross, and then resurrect from the dead so that we could experience new life. God, we are so thankful that it's not a theory, that's not a fairy tale. God, it's something that people witnessed with their own eyes, that people touched with their own hands and then brought that message forward. And thousands of years later, here we are reading about it, but trusting it, not just because of the disciples who gave up their lives for it, but because we get to see resurrection in our own lives every single day. And God, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to celebrate this on Easter, but, but the truth is, God, we get to celebrate this every single day. This isn't a one Sunday a year type of thing. God, you are constantly making the broken things healed. God, you are constantly bringing the dead things back to life. God, you are constantly restoring and redeeming and giving us hope and giving us mercy and giving us grace. And we're so thankful for that. And God, we're so thankful for what you've done in the lives of people in this church. God, I'm thankful for what you've done in my life. But God, I pray for those who haven't really seen that yet. Maybe they haven't experienced it yet. Maybe they haven't even looked for it yet. God, I pray that today isn't just a Sunday where they check a box and come back at Christmas eight months from now. But God, that this is a different type of Sunday where they begin to lean in, begin to pursue those doubts, begin to look what's on the other side of that and lean into belief just a little bit more. God, we're so thankful for the way that you love us. We don't, we don't understand it. We know we don't deserve it. But God, we feel it and we're thankful. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.